Hi, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Ann Eglash. I'm a clinical professor in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and a board-certified lactation consultant. This podcast is produced and edited by The Milk Mob and is co-sponsored by the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Are you ready to go? Hi, everyone. This is Ann, and I'm by myself today. I'm going to review some interesting articles that I thought would be of clinical significance. The first one is entitled Lactation and Management of Rheumatologic Disease by Bonnie Burmes, and she published this in 2017 in the journal Rheumatologic Diseases Clinics of North America. I thought that running through this review would be interesting because we often notice activity of rheumatologic diseases during pregnancy and postpartum. So the author uh, has us understand that the immune system in early pregnancy is actually in a pro-inflammatory state in order to facilitate implantation of the fertilized egg. So cells such as natural killer cells and type 1 helper T cells produce angiogenic factors, which are factors that help create new blood vessels, which are obviously needed in order to help nurture the growth of the new pregnancy. After implantation, the pro-inflammatory levels will decline, and in the second trimester is when the immune system is more anti-inflammatory in order for the mother's immune system to tolerate the fetus rather than to destroy it. And then towards labor and delivery, inflammation rises again because inflammation is necessary to facilitate the act of labor. And that's why infections later on during pregnancy can trigger preterm labor because infections tend to rev rev up that inflammatory process. This pro-inflammatory state that occurs at the end of pregnancy is thought to have an impact on rheumatologic diseases postpartum. The author cites a study of 140 women who have known inflammatory arthritis, and the study found that 66, or certainly more than 50%, 66% of the women had worsened arthritis symptoms in the first six months postpartum. And another study showed that 50% of women with rheumatoid arthritis had disease flare. And also in other studies, flares have been noted in women who have lupus. The issue is that breastfeeding is considered pro-inflammatory because prolactin increases inflammatory markers, which is probably accounting for why women who have rheumatoid arthritis are more prone to flares during lactation. And this is also true for women with lupus. And what I found interesting in this article is that parladol, which is bromocryptine, um, which we all know as an anti-prolactin medication, um, that increases dopamine. And that actually has been used to treat symptoms of lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. Um, And obviously, we want to use this during breastfeeding. But it just shows how reducing that prolactin level actually reduces inflammation in a woman's body. Um, The author, fortunately, recognizes the importance of breastfeeding for mother and baby. And uh, another goal of this article was to talk about uh, treatment strategies that are safe with breastfeeding. In terms of medications for rheumatologic conditions, the author uh, talks about anti-inflammatory medications, which I think many of you are aware of already, that we use ibuprofen and Aleve and several other anti-inflammatories during during, uh, breastfeeding, which is not 
um, usually a problem. She also states that low-dose aspirin and low-dose prednisone are also okay during breastfeeding. Uh, other uh, disease-modifying agents include hydroxychloroquine, uh, because that level, the level of hydroxychloroquine tends to be low in breast milk. And there have been some long-term studies showing that there's no evidence of disease in infants, particularly their eyes have been fine. Other disease-modifying agents that are fine with breastfeeding include sulfasalazine, azathioprine, which is Imuran, and cyclosporine. Medications that should be avoided during breastfeeding are methotrexate, leflunamide, and cyclophosphamide. The other set of medications that I see in clinical practice much more often, much more commonly used in women with inflammatory diseases are the tumor necrosis factor inhibitors like Enbrel, Remicade, and Humira. And these are all also considered compatible because there's minimal to no, le to no measurable levels of these medications in breast milk. So there you have it on that topic. Uh, this, is a, this is a great resource for women with rheumatologic diseases and also for her uh, rheumatologist or primary care physician who's helping to manage her, her um, symptoms during breastfeeding. Another article I thought that would be interesting is entitled, Are Prolactin Levels Linked to Suction Pressure? And this was published by Feng Zhan. I'm going to massacre these names because they're Chinese, Hao Zia and others. Uh, this was a study done in China and published in the Breastfeeding Medicine Journal in November of 2016. We know that prolactin levels rise in response to infant suckling at the nipple. So the question is, what are the important factors? Is it the pressure that's generated by sucking? Or is it the sensation of touch on the nipples? And I have always thought that it was direct nipple stimulation, just the touch, because women who have premature infants who are high milk producers seem to really drive up their supply just with having the baby just with having like a preterm baby lick the nipple um, and nuzzle. Um, so I didn't even think to question whether or not suckling has an effect on prolactin levels. So the authors decided to check suction pressures during nursing and wanted to see how those pressures were related to prolactin levels and the mother's perception of her milk supply at one month. So they recruited primiparous women who only gave birth to term healthy infants and who initiated breastfeeding without any difficulty. They didn't include multiparous women, women who are separated from their infants, women who are supplementing, women with nipple problems, or if they had a history of breast surgery. Uh, they also uh, eliminated women who are smokers or who had a high BMI. Um, so basically eliminated women who had factors that would have an impact on their milk supply or on their prolactin level. They measured pressures, suckling pressures, uh, at times when the women had not nursed within the last two hours, uh, so that the babies would be good and hungry. They used pressure sensors that, they, that were placed alongside the nipple during breastfeeding, and if the babies were sleepy during nursing, they didn't count those feedings. So they had the baby nurse, and they checked the pressures during nursing, and they drew blood for the prolactin level right before nursing and 20 minutes after nursing. They ended up having 117 women in their analysis, and they found that low suction pressure, earlier gestational age, 
increased pre-pregnancy BMI, even though they excluded everyone with a BMI over 27, just even for women less than 27, increasing pre-pregnancy BMI and high infant birth weight were associated with a smaller prolactin increment, which is the difference between the prolactin drawn before and after nursing. They also found that, that higher sucking pressures were related to mother's perception of adequacy of milk supply at one month. So they concluded that suction pressure does play a role in the prolactin response, which of course plays a central role um, in milk supply over time. So uh, I, I think this is important. First of all, it could partially explain why it's difficult for women with premature infants to increase their milk supply over time. But the other thing is making sure that women are using the pumps properly and and really trying to reach that maximum pressure. And if they're not able to reach an ideal pressure of what I would consider between like around at least 150 millimeters mercury, if they can't reach it, then they probably need to uh, have different shield sizes or have whatever issue is causing the pain dealt with like vasospasm or infection. Um, or maybe they need a different pump or use a different type of pump cycle. Um, so because, so that if sucking pressure is related to prolactin, that's going to be important for milk supply. And then, of course, suction is going to be important for, for thorough breast emptying. So I think for moms who have premature infants, that oftentimes when moms are in the hospital, we're starting with pretty low pressures, getting them used to the pump, but really working with them to make sure they're gradually maximizing that pressure and getting a very effective pressure is going to be important uh, for breast emptying, but also for the prolactin level according to this study. The third topic I want to bring up today is about how the mode of delivery impacts the breast milk microbiome, not the infant microbiome, but the breast milk microbiome. <clears throat> this was a small study that was published in 2016. It was a study of 10 women published in the Journal of Developmental Origins of Health and Disease um, by Cabrera Rubio Mira Pasquale um, and others in delivery. It's published in Spain. Before I talk about this study, here's a great quote from the paper. Quote, breast milk is the most relevant postnatal element for the metabolic and immunologic programming of the infant's health. We already know that the infant's gut microbial bacteria is a healthier uh, bacteria overall. So now the question is, what are the factors that shape the microbiome of the breast milk itself? The authors cite studies indicating that breast milk microbiome is already known to be influenced by mom's body mass index, the weight gain during pregnancy, her lactational stage, her gestation, the baby's gestational age at birth, whether mom received antibiotics during pregnancy, and other health, health issues during lactation. So the authors wanted to know if the mode of delivery also played a role in breast milk microbiome. The study included 10 healthy Spanish mothers who were exclusively breastfeeding, and they provided a breast milk sample at one month postpartum. So pretty sweet, pretty clean and easy. Six had a vaginal delivery and four had a cesarean birth. And they found that the women with vaginal deliveries had more bacterial diversity in their milk with higher bifidobacterial levels. This is important because studies are showing that children born via cesarean birth have higher rates of atopic diseases, 
asthma, celiac, and obesity. And these differences may be due to the different gut microbiomes from the delivery itself and the differences in the microbiome in the breast milk. The problem that infants born via cesarean birth have is that they have a higher rate of formula supplementation during hospitalization overall. So it's like a triple whammy for them that they don't get as much breast milk, they get more formula, and then they had a, uh, a birth that limited their bacterial diversity, and then their mother is going to have breast milk that doesn't have as much uh, healthy, that doesn't have the healthier diversity. So it's quite unfair. Um, in their discussion, the authors discuss whether probiotic therapy during pregnancy and peripartum could impact infant atopic dermatitis and other childhood obesity that seems to be linked to that early microbiome. So that's currently where some of the cutting edge research is going. So I hope this was helpful for you. And um, hopefully with our next podcast, I'll have Karen back or someone else to banter around some clinical um some clinical observations. And if you have any questions or comments about this podcast, please feel free to contact me at Anne, A-N-N-E, at themilkmob.org, or check out our Facebook page, The Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast, and like us and leave some comments. And we'll be back with you in a couple weeks. Thanks. For questions regarding this podcast, contact us through themilkmob.org. We have other educational projects going on there, such as the Clinical Question of the Week and our Outpatient Breastfeeding Champion programs. If you want to see what we look like, check out our Facebook page, where you can also share comments and questions with your co-listeners. To learn more about the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, please visit www.bfmed.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you in a few weeks.